This is the Holy Gospel according to John, the second chapter. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, this temple has been under construction for 46 years and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's pray together. God, we give you thanks for this day. Thank you for the ways that you meet us in this place and all around. We pray that you would help us to hear your voice clearly above all others today. It, we pray that you would help us to see your face more clearly than all others today. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. And may your love for us change the way that we love others. May that strengthen us and keep us in your care today as we go forth into this world. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So many years ago now, I used to do youth ministry as a profession. I was a middle school youth minister, and I worked in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And maybe that reveals a little something about me that like my specialty was middle school kids. So I was always one of my favorite things when people say, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, I'm a middle school youth pastor. And they're like, are you serious? Are you crazy? And I was like, yeah, it's awesome. Middle school kids are the best, by the way. So they, it, one of the things I love about middle school kids is that they can challenge you, they can encourage you, and they don't take any stuff from you right? Like they will tell you when you are wrong. And uh, I just, I love the honesty of middle school kids. But the church where I was serving at that time was a really special place. Um, it was a wonderful community that was built literally by the people of the church. So the church building, the, like the concrete blocks that made up the church building were laid by like the grandfather of one of my youth group kids. The stained glass was made by people of the church. There was like carvings that were made up the, the backdrop of behind the altar and they, they were like handmade by different people. So there was a lot of history in this place. And it was an amazing place to serve, a wonderful group of people to be with, but it also had some challenges. When this building had been built, it was actually built to replace the building that had previously been there. And in order to help get this building built, the pastor at the time wrote a book called If These Walls Could Speak. And it was a really powerful book that said everything that we put in this space, we want it to point to God. We want it to direct our attention towards God. And so the way that the ceiling was, we wanted that to direct our attention to God. We wanted the, the, the sculpture in the back to direct our attention to God. The stained glass was all about pointing people to God. It was really intentional in the way that everything was put together. And that book became the thing of legend in this congregation. 
And so while it was a really powerful thing that helped get this done and really served its purpose well, because legends happen, the story changes. And this book actually became a weapon that was used frequently in the congregation. And so part of what was going on at the time that I was there was that the building was actually falling apart. There was a lot of things that needed to be updated. There was a lot of things that needed to be fixed. And the senior pastor at the time was trying to get that done for the congregation and for the community. And at every turn, he met resistance because these walls speak, right? So every time it was like, well, we need to renovate the bathroom. Somebody would hold up, you know, like, well, in, if these walls speak, then, you know, it says that the porcelain that was used in the bathroom toilets is safe, you know, like those kinds of things. It was like, it wasn't that ridiculous, but it was pretty close. There was resistance at every turn because there was this mindset that all of these things that were in this space were immovable. They had to be this way or else it wasn't sacred anymore. And so the building project never got done. And then I went off to seminary to become a real pastor. And then my first year of seminary, I had a class. It was a church history class. And one of the assignments was this. They said, take an artifact from your home church and do an artifact study of it to understand the history of your home church more, like more fully. And so the artifact that I chose, of course, was the book, If These Walls Could Speak. And I thought in the four years that I was there, I had actually never seen a copy of this book. I'd never actually seen somebody hold up a copy of this book or turn to a page in the book. People had only ever talked about it. And so I was actually able to get a copy of If These Walls Could Speak. And I held it in my hands. And it was the centerpiece of this assignment that I, I was to complete. And as I read the book, it was fascinating to see what it actually was. It actually was a book that was focused on God. It was talking about how the reason that we do these things is to focus our attention and our heart on God. And these are my words, but I think in essence, after reading it, I can with confidence say that the author was saying that we want these walls and every part of this building to say to the people of our neighborhood, you are loved and you are welcome." And we see you and we want to know you. We want to create and hold this space for you to see and sense the presence of God who can sometimes be difficult to see in the pace and place of this world. And one thing that was absent from the book was any assertion that nothing should ever change. In fact, I would even assert that the words of the book implied that when any part of what had been built or what was going to be built becomes less than what it was intended to be, then it was time to reconsider it and maybe even change it or knock it down altogether and rebuild. From the beginning, as far back as Genesis 1, all creation is where God intends to live. God has never been confined to any building, ritual, or location. God has always intended to live in all that God created. The temple, church buildings, and rituals, they were never meant to be the thing. They are meant to be symbols and practices that remind us of the thing, to help us not lose sight of God and God's presence with us to help us keep the main thing the main thing. But sometimes we make other things than the main thing the main thing, right? I mean, I, I know I do. 
And so Jesus turning over the tables in the temple is this significant moment. And it was about a lot of things, but it was about more than just a protest of the corruption of the money changers. Like we can make the story just about that, where there was these practices that were going on that they were just wrong and Jesus turned over the tables to correct that practice. It was about that, but it was also about more than that. It was more than just Jesus being upset at the commerce of the temple system. What he was doing was this kind of performance art that prophets often did in Old Testament times. It was like street theater. And if you've ever seen street theater or performance art, it's always kind of weird and upsetting and it's a disruption, but it has a point to it. It's pointing you to something else. It's meant to be shocking and disruptive to get everyone's attention so that maybe, just maybe, we'll actually listen. Because the temple had become less than what was intended. There was corruption among the money changers, and there was other problems too. But the real problem, the real problem, was that the temple was no longer functioning as a symbol to draw attention to God and God's presence. The temple was being the focal point of worship itself. It had become the replacement for God, not just a place to help us see God. And you can kind of imagine how that becomes a problem. It's always a problem when we stop making the main thing the main thing, when our eyes drift to other things. But that's our tendency, isn't it? We live in a world where so often we pay more attention to the secondary than we do the primary. Like imagine, like I'm just going to do a little thought experiment for just a second. Imagine that the Tampa Bay Bucks are in the Super Bowl next year. I can see it in my mind. And I can imagine that this wonderful and generous congregation says, you know what, Pastor Brian loves the Tampa Bay Bucks. Let's make sure that he gets to the game, right? And so, like, 50-yard line seats, thank you. Oh, my God, you are so generous. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. And so there I am on the 50-yard line watching the Tampa Bay Bucks play the game of their life. And Baker Mayfield drops back to throw a game-winning touchdown pass to Mike Evans. But then I miss the whole thing because I'm too busy posting about the play three plays ago on my Instagram. Like, that's how we live life so often, right? We have life that's happening right in front of us. And so often we're focused that life through this little screen and we're taking pictures of it and video of it. And we're missing the real thing that's right there. Something happens when we look up and we actually see the main thing. Can you imagine how disappointed I would be if I didn't get to see the game-winning touchdown of the Super Bowl from the 50-yard line? If I was busy focused on something else? Because I had made something other than the main thing the main thing. So sometimes I need something or someone to just wave a hand in front of my face or to clap their hands to get my attention or someone to turn over the tables in the temple courtyard and drive everything out to redirect my attention to what is most important. We need something or someone to draw our attention away from what holds our gaze so fiercely that we miss the love of God inviting us to draw near. The love of God that's right in front of us. The love of God that has never forgotten or forsaken us. Sometimes we need something to remind us to keep the main thing the main thing. 
And I want to make just a quick distinction here because there's a lie that too many of us believe so often. There's a lie that too many of us buy into. And it's this, based around this little phrase that we just toss around casually, usually when something bad happens. I've said it, and you've probably said it too. It's the phrase, everything happens for a reason. I mean, I've heard people say this, trying to make meaning of everything from child loss to cancer to car accidents and murder and everything in between. And I'm just going to say it, it's a lie. Sometimes horrible, disruptive events just happen. They just do. They're senseless and they're tragic. And God who loves us doesn't make them happen to teach us a lesson or to get our attention. That's not what I'm talking about. I just can't believe that a loving God says, you know what, I have a plan. I'm gonna give my child who I love cancer so that I can get their attention. I just don't believe that that is what a loving God does. I don't believe that a loving God does so many of the things that we accuse God of doing when we say things like everything happens for a reason. But God is with us when these things do happen and they will happen. And when they happen, like when this sort of accidental disruption happens, sometimes we become differently aware of God's presence. Not because God is trying to teach us a lesson and causing that to happen, but because God always hears the cries of his children who are suffering. And God always makes good of the promise that we will not be alone in our suffering. So that's just a little aside. We'll talk more about that over time, I'm sure. But I just wanted to put, up, put that out there so that you are assured to not hear what I'm not saying. Earlier this week, um, I was having a hard time, in all honesty. Um, one of the things that I have struggled with for many years, and I kept it silent and secret for a long time, was that um, I, I battle at times, actually all of the time, but sometimes it's more present than others, I battle anxiety and depression. And sometimes that's fueled by the things that are happening immediately in my life. Sometimes that's fueled even further by the things that have happened in my life. Sometimes it's just the things that I'm seeing in the news. And earlier in this week, I was really struggling. And a lot of what I was struggling with wasn't like anything current that was happening, but it was a lot related to the work that I did in the hospital. In the hospital, in four years there, I saw more horrors than you could ever imagine. And that leaves a mark. Uh, we talk about it in terms of being like vicarious trauma. The trauma wasn't happening to me, but I was so near it all the time that it affects me deeply sometimes. And most of the time, through therapy and through spiritual direction and through prayer and through support of friends, like I'm able to put that in a place where it belongs. But other times it comes closer to the surface and it's really difficult to deal with. And I have these flashes of images of the countless traumas and difficulties that I saw. And that's what was happening on Monday and Tuesday. I was just struggling to put those things in the place where they belong. So, on top of that, there's been several news stories that have just like been these disruptive kind of news stories that have like weighed heavy on top of what was already heavy. And there's a, a gender fluid teenager who lost their life in Arizona for no reason at all. And that's just the story we heard about, right? I'm sure there's other stories that are like it for no reason at all. The bread lines in Gaza 
were attacked and people were killed just because they were getting food. And so it was like piling on, like thing after thing after thing, weighing heavy on my heart. And it was a pretty rough couple days. But then there was this beautiful disruption that happened that kind of helped get my attention. It didn't make all of those things go away because all of those things are still happening, right? But this disruption helped redirect my attention to the one who actually can carry me through those things, to be the light that I need in those dark spaces. And that happened in this space Wednesday night. We had a concert here, and it was just one of those beautiful disruptions where God used the beautiful words and melodies and the laughter and conversation between friends in this space to draw my attention back to God and God's loving presence with me. And again, none of the stuff that I struggle with magically disappeared. It's still there. It will always be there. It's part of me. But the disruption reminded me that I am loved even still. And so it was just evidence of how God sometimes in these disruptions meets us in the place where we have need. But the call then is to be willing to listen when God is speaking. So where does God typically meet you? For some of us, it might be in a bright and modern church sanctuary that's filled with light. For others, it might be more so in like a dark cathedral with stone floors and wooden pews. Or maybe you see God more clearly in the flicker of a candle and just the flame that burns subtly and quietly in your home. Or maybe you sense God speaking to you in songs or hymns. Or maybe you recognize God more fully in the waters of baptism or when you come forward and receive the bread and wine of communion. Or maybe a walk in the woods feels like a holy place for you. Or maybe it's just in those sometimes all too rare moments of silence. Maybe those are the ways and the places that we sense God differently, that disrupt the norm for us and draw our attention back to where it belongs. But all of these are practices, and they're places that are intended to point us to God. They help create and hold space so that we can hear more clearly from God and see God more intently. But here's the thing, we always want to make this distinction. None of these things are intended to be God. They just aren't. Instead, they provide a healthy disruption from our norm and then invite us into a different kind of awareness. They help us become awake and aware of what is always true, of who is already here. And our awareness is so often at the heart of our problem. One of the gifts of God is that we don't have to conjure up God from somewhere. We don't have to invite God to show up because God has already shown up. God is already with us and God is always good. And this quote from Richard Rohr helps remind me of that. It's because so much of our challenge is about the awareness of that, not where God is. God is always present. Our awareness of God's presence is a challenge. So Richard Rohr says, we cannot attain the presence of God because we're already totally in the presence of God. What's absent is awareness. So how do I become aware of God with me? Because God is with me and God is with you. And so when Jesus turns over the tables, he calls out the corruption. He calls out and challenges the brokenness of the system. 
But in doing so, he also invites everyone into a different kind of awareness. He invites us to see Jesus as the connection between the divine and the human life. And the divine is what all of these things are intended to draw our attention towards. But that's not how we often respond when the tables are turned over, is it? It's hard because sometimes in these disruptions, our instinct is to react before we take the time to reflect. We jump to the defensive rather than taking the time to listen well and respond faithfully. And so today, I want to pay attention to the disruptions that have my attention. Because each of these disruptions is an opportunity to listen. They're a chance to listen to the voice of God. And if we think of the power of the voice of God, life didn't happen without God speaking. Life came into being because God spoke. Love came into being because God spoke. And that same God is, is speaking and wants us to hear as that same God is speaking life and love into you and me. So these disruptions, these turning over tables are chances to listen to the voice of God who speaks life and love into being and inviting you and me and everyone else to participate in how God is healing the world. And because there's so much stuff going on in the world, sometimes it's hard for us to see, but God is healing the world. God is. So what has your attention today? What tables have been overturned in your life or need to be? What tables have been overturned in your life or around you? What is God saying to you? And what might it look like to respond in faith? How is God inviting you and me, even in this disruption, to love and to be loved? Let's pray. God, I give you thanks for this day. I give you thanks for the many ways that you are at work in this world, and especially the ways that draw our attention back to you. It's so easy to be distracted. It's so easy to be pulled away from what is truly the, the center of our lives. And so God, I thank you for the many ways that you remind us that you are with us. I thank you for the many ways that you remind us that you are good again and again and again. The places in us that are broken, God, I pray that you would help us to see that, that you would reveal that, that you would reveal your healing presence in those places. The things in our world that are broken, God, I pray that you would help us to see those things clearly and respond faithfully, to participate with you in the healing of this world that you have already begun and that you will bring to completion. And so God, I thank you. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your love. I thank you for the way that you challenge us and invite us. I thank you for the way that you draw us close. And I thank you for the depths of who you are and the depths of your love for, for me and for all people. We pray these things in the name of Jesus.